Have you ever felt ashamed? What is shame? Shame is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Synonyms, embarrassment, discomfort, loss of face. Have you ever been so ashamed? Maybe you had a loss of face. What about a loss of faith in you, in yourself, in others, in plans, in future, in God? There was a time in my life where I was hopeless and I had a loss of faith season. I was in my 20s and I truly remember losing my whole identity. I remember losing all hope and found myself so angry at God for all of the broken dreams, for all of my plans had gone down the drain. And before I knew it, I found myself in a toxic relationship that stripped me of any confidence, independence, strength, freedom, and self-worth. Whatever may have been left with me from the previous broken heart. Sin was heavy all around me. I was on a path of destruction, headed south instead of north. And it wasn't until I escaped this relationship and found myself in church, learning about sin, that hell is real, repentance, redemption, restoration, God's mercy, God's grace, and faith. And I remember when the shame set in from the poor choices that I had made. The shame, the yuck, the embarrassment. It was only then that I just saw how entangled in the enemy's grips I had been. I had been on a path of destruction, a path of no hope, a path with no future. And there was a day while I was in church, I had enough feeling, the yucky, the embarrassment, and I was tired. I was tired of feeling that way. I become bitter and angry at myself, at others, but I had become angry with God. And that's not who he molded me to be. And I remember sitting on the back pew and I don't remember the sermon, but I remember crying uncontrollably and laughing, crying, just a weird, odd, ugly cry. And it wouldn't stop. And it went on through the whole service. I never heard the sermon. And I remember after the sermon, after the pastor quit preaching, I remember a sister of mine sitting beside me and comforting me, and I was still crying still laughing, crying. And I said, what is this? And she said, this is the Holy Spirit. And I continued to cry uncontrollably. And I was supposed to go eat with a pastor and his family. And I remember him throwing me the keys to the church and telling me just to stay as long as I wanted to. So I did. And I have no recollection of time but I remember after everyone left, I remember walking up to the pulpit. I remember laying down on the pulpit. 
I remember crying, just crying. I remember asking God to take away the hurt, to take away the heartache, the bitterness, the anger, everything that was in my heart that I had become, and I wanted to be whole again. I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And I remember a sensation of tingles from my head to my toe. And it was like a blanket, just a wave of comfort and peace from my head to my toe. Some of you have contacted me and mentioned tingles to me, and that excites me. And I've told you, that's God. Pay attention. He heals our hearts. He takes the broken away, and he can make you whole. But you have to make the move to let him, allow him. Nobody else can, only you. I remember waking up from my stupor of crying, and I felt like a brand new creature. And I stood up, and there was a friend of mine in the doorway, and she looked at me, and she said, what was that? And I said, that was God, and isn't he cool? So fast forward, I was whole. From that day forward, I was on fire for God. I traded in my brokenness, my hurt, my shame, and I vowed to have a self-denying faith. And in return, Jesus restored my heart and my soul. And he saved me. But he also saved my family because they witnessed him and everything that we did. In return, I'm on a mission to lead others to soul, to lead other souls to him, Jesus Christ. We have staff meetings every Monday, and Brother Matt has a soft, gentle way of prodding us to step out of our comfort zone. And so about a month ago, he casted out, there were female characters in the Bible, and would any of us like to preach or teach on these characters? Well, there's three females on staff, and I'm not gonna lie, there was silence for the first time in a staff meeting. I don't even know what happened, but I'm here. And so the first character that we are going to speak on is Rahab. Brother Matt is going to reflect on the book of Joshua. And so I want to just share some facts. After researching Rahab, she has become my hero. She was a quick thinker. For being faithful, God gave her the lives of her family. That's in Joshua 6.23. God gave her a husband and a home. That's in Matthew 1.5. And a heritage. God also gave her a future. That's in Joshua 6.25. But the coolest thing... Rahab became the wife of Salmon. She is the great-great-grandmother of King David and an ancestress of Jesus Christ. You heard me. A prostitute. A harlot. A harlot is a prostitute. She is along the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
that just shows me how merciful and how forgiving our Father is. She was a courageous woman who knew the Lord. And I am going to read scripture. Joshua 2, 9 through 11. Shows me that she paid attention. She listened. And she learned. Most importantly, she listened to God. Joshua 2, 8 through 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She grew up around pagans. She was a Canaanite. They believed in gods and goddesses. This scripture right here shows that she paid attention, that she listened, and that she believed in our God. Her faith was sure. Hebrews 11.31 tells us that. And by faith, she obeyed and trusted God's people. She taught her children that God uses people with simple faith to accomplish his great purposes. She taught her children that God is more concerned with your future than he is your past. She made sure that her future and her family's future were secure. That's in Joshua 2, 15 through 16. Through God, Rahab exchanged her shame for the righteousness of Christ. Are some of you in shame? Shame does not come from our Lord. There's a real enemy that we hear about, that we read about, but we get stuck. That's his plan. He doesn't want you to come out of the shame. He doesn't want you to live. He doesn't want you to have a voice. He doesn't want you to heal. That's the enemy. Our God does. But you have to make the move. When I researched Rahab as a woman, I felt that because of her faith, because of her faith and her denial in herself, she brought herself life. Self-denial and faith brought her life. She didn't wait. She didn't wait on a phone call from a friend. She didn't wait on a phone call or a message from a pastor. She made the choice. She made that choice to step out in faith, to save her family, to listen to a God that she knew was real. She made that decision. Shame. Shame makes us feel excluded. When we trade in our shame for the freedom and honor and life in Christ, our souls will live 
and thrive with God's beauty. Let the gospel destroy your shame. Let the gospel destroy your shame. The message that you hear today, advice from someone who is a brother and sister that is solid in in Christ, the gospel message that you hear, let that destroy your shame. If you don't, the shame will destroy you. Amen? Amen. In staff, when I, in staff meeting when I said, who wants to be the feminine voice and identify with Rahab? Who wants to identify with a prostitute? What woman wants to say, yeah, I identify with her. But you know who's not embarrassed of Rahab? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not embarrassed of Rahab. You know who's not afraid or embarrassed or ashamed to be identified with this Rahab and with the Rahab in you and in me? Jesus Christ is not ashamed of her. Not only does he let her into his community, but Jesus lets her into his bloodline. Amazing. Ashley has spread this scarlet thread out on the table that we'll come back to later. Ashley, thank you so much for getting us started this morning. Joshua chapter 2. In Joshua 1, we saw, we, we, we saw the mantle of leadership be passed uh, from Moses to Joshua, this amazing general leader. And then in Joshua 2, the spotlight shifts away from this man of war into this very unexpected place. The spotlight focuses on this uh, harlot, this prostitute from Jericho, this pagan woman. The spotlight focuses too on, on, on in, in Joshua chapter two, as Ashley has already introduced, uh, introduced this idea of shame. Uh, Rahab, the prostitute, Rahab, the harlot, as she's often known, would have known shame because of uh, because of her uh, vocation, because of her reputation. She would have dealt with an incredible amount of shame. She probably didn't wake up in bed one day or roll out of bed one morning and say, "You know what I'd like to do with my life? This is what I'd like to do with my life." But because of where she was and the limited opportunity opportunities for women. She did what she uh, felt she had to do to take care of herself and her family. And of all the people in Jericho, all the pious people, all the impressive people, God chose this person to be the person that he would show his incredible glory through. So shame, remember, is that fear of being seen. It's that fear of exposure. It's that feeling of being found out, being seen. I've got to hide myself can't imagine how Rahab, how much shame that Rahab felt until the day she met the God of Israel. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. They went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now how did these two good Jewish boys end up in the home of a prostitute? You ever ask yourself that question? What were they doing there? Uh, some say, and it's possible, uh, Rahab, you know, because her home was situated in, in between the walls, she, she might have operated, may, maybe had a large operation, maybe oper, operated an inn or something like that. Uh, maybe these boys are doing some evangelistic work. Uh, or maybe uh, they said, hey, we've been in a family reunion in the wilderness our whole life. Let's see what the city has to offer. 
And, uh, and so they end up in this place, their feet carry them in a place where maybe their feet shouldn't have carried them, but you know what? When your feet carry you somewhere that your feet shouldn't go, did you know that God even is bigger than that? God had a bigger plan for these two uh, Israelite boys than they even could imagine. The spies don't do a good job blending in. They're, maybe it's their clothing. Maybe it's their, uh, maybe it's their, uh, uh, their dialect. Maybe it's the fact that God's people are not meant to blend in. And maybe when you try to blend in, uh, things don't go well because you weren't intended to blend in with everybody else. So they don't blend in. They stand out because God's people are meant to stand out. Verse 2, it was told the king of Jericho, men of Israel have come here tonight to search the land. When the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, he said, bring out the men who have come to you. They entered your house. They came to search out the land, but the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. She said, true, the men came to me, but I don't know who they were. I didn't know where they were from. When the gate was about to be closed at dark, they ran out. I don't know where they went, but pursue them quickly, and you might overtake them. But she had secretly brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax that she had laid out in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So now, can you imagine being these spies? You're, you're, you're here in, in, in Rahab's uh, place. A knock comes at the door. It's soldiers from the king. She hides you on the roof. And now your entire fate is resting in the hands of this pagan prostitute foreign woman. Can you imagine how they felt? Can you imagine these two men up uh, hiding on the roof saying, oh, when mama finds out where I died, what is she going to say? Man, what's Joshua going to say when he founds out how I went out? They put all of their trust in this woman. And her loyalty is tested. Is she going to be loyal to this world system that she has been living in that has not been loyal to her? Or is she going to be loyal to these men who come representing a God who said that her entire people are going to be destroyed? Is she going to be loyal to her own people or is she going to be loyal to these strangers? God's got a way of uh, working in ways that, that, that are so much bigger than anything we can imagine. She hides them. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. We heard what you did to these kings. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's a profession of faith. Your God is God. Man, I've heard about all kinds of other gods, but your God is the God. She, she trusts him. Now, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, as I have shown chesed, as I have shown mercy, as I have shown covenant faithfulness, as I have shown loyalty to you, as I have shown you the characteristic that God himself shows you, you also deal kindly with me and with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said, our life for yours even to death. If you don't tell this business of ours, then the Lord gives us the land. We will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So uh, she, sends, she, she, she tells a story. Uh, she kind of plays fast and loose with the truth. And, and these, uh, 
the guy's looking for the spies run away, but the gate is shut. The spies are locked in the city. What's going to happen if, if, if they decide to search the city room by room? So what she does is she makes a way out of the city where before there had been no way. Verse 15, she let them down by a rope through a window. Her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go on your way. The men said, we will... Be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you will gather in your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's house. So we're going to know which house is yours because there's going to be this scarlet cord that you're going to tie in your window, and that's how we're going to know you're safe. Gather all your people in that house, and you're going to be protected. All right, so Rahab... First, what I'd like for us to see is that Rahab points us to Jesus. We've talked about the ways that we see Jesus in Moses. We see Jesus in Adam. We see, we see uh, Jesus in, in, in Joshua and how all these biblical characters point towards to Jesus. Rahab does too. Rahab points us to Jesus. Rahab uh, provided a refuge. She provided a hiding place for her enemies. It's exactly what Jesus does for his enemies. Those who are his enemies because of sin, Jesus welcomes you, provided you a hiding place, provides you by faith a refuge in him. Rahab provided a way of escape where before there had been no way. The spies were shut up, locked up, stuck in this place, just like you were locked up, stuck in sin. And Jesus made a way for you through faith in him where before there was no way. Rahab dealt with kindness and covenant faithfulness to those that were her enemies, just like Jesus has dealt with kindness and covenant faithfulness with you. There's this scarlet cord that Rahab hung outside of her door, and for those of her city, that scarlet cord would have been a picture of her uh, employment. It would have been a reminder of the kind of work that she did. But, you know, for the spies, the scarlet cord, the scarlet uh, marking outside a door would have had a, really a whole other meaning. It would have reminded them of, Israel, of, of Egypt. It would have reminded them about how when they were delivered from Egypt, they had put that scarlet blood of the lamb over the door of their house and how God had rescued and saved the household where his people, where his people had gathered. It was a picture of salvation, not sin for them. And that scarlet cord stretches through the Bible all the way from Passover all the way to Rahab and past Rahab all the way to the scarlet red blood of Christ on the cross. And we can trace that cord of salvation all the way from the Old Testament all the way to Jesus hanging on a cross. Rahab points us to Jesus. Rahab points us to salvation. Stay with me. Rahab believes the bad news. And because she believes the bad news, she, she also believes the good news. Rahab believes that judgment is coming. And she also believes that there's a, there's a God who has the power to save her. Guess what? All these years later, our message is still bad news and good news. There is judgment. There is such a thing as wrath. Sin does get judged. Evil is real. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. We're convicted and guilty in the eyes of a holy God. That's the bad news. But the good news that Rahab believed the good news that you are invited to believe today is that there is a God who is able and willing to rescue you. There is a God who is willing and able to identify with you and rescue you. Rahab is saved just like you're saved, by God's grace, through faith. Do you think there might have been more worthy people in Jericho? Probably more worthy people than you and me, right? But just like Wonder Woman says, it's not about deserve. 
It's not about who earns it. It's not about what we deserve. It's about the grace of God. And God of all the people of Jericho, all the worthy people, all the righteous people, he chooses this woman because God loves to show himself strong in the weak. God loves to identify with the outsider. God loves to identify with the marginalized. And God loves to make himself to show his wisdom in the foolish, weak things of this world. That includes you, that includes me. Rahab is saved by grace through faith. She trusts God. She believes in God. She just wildly believes that God is bigger. Oh, my whole city and way of life is about to be destroyed. She could have said, well, how dare God, Right? I just don't believe God would do such a thing. No, that's the games you and me play. She said, man, I just want to know this God. I want to trust this God. I want to be identified with this God. Her faith is characterized by action. She hides the spies. Her faith is characterized by new loyalty. You ever say, you ever find yourself, you want to say that you have trust in Jesus, but you're loyal to the world as it is? That's not how it works. Her faith results in a whole new loyalty. Her faith is characterized by holy fear. Man, my heart melted when I heard about what God did. Rahab, the the harlot, her heart melted when she heard what God did. We hear about God putting on flesh, coming to live among us, dying on a cross, taking the wrath of God upon himself, rising from the dead, and we say, yeah, you know, I've heard that. Tell me something I don't know. Her heart melted with holy fear. What would happen if just a handful of people in Sweetwater, America, joined with their faith, a heart-melting, holy fear that God still means business, that God is still in, in, the act, in, 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 in the work of changing the world, that God is still bigger than anything we face. Her, 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 she believes in faith with what God has done and what God is gonna do. Um, Francine Rivers wrote a book called A Lineage of Grace, which traces through these five interesting and amazing women uh, unexpected women in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. And... and uh, Rivers assumes that Salmon, uh, Rahab's husband, was one of the spies. I don't know if he was one of these spies. It's kind of cool to imagine that he was. But in this fictionalized account, Francine Rivers writes, Salmon had always thought it was Joshua's and Caleb's faith that had singled them out from all others among the chosen race. But a single evening in the company of a Jerichoan whore had made him realize that God could write his name upon the heart of anyone he chooses. Did you hear that? God can write his name on the heart of anyone he chooses. Even a Canaanite prostitute out there in the darkness across the Jordan inside the wall of a pagan city was a woman of contemptible reputation who had never seen a miracle, never tasted a bite of manna, never heard a single word of the law, and yet her faith was strong enough that she welcomed and greeted and protected those who were coming to destroy her people. She'd never seen a miracle, never heard the word preached, but she had heard about this God, and she was foolish enough to trust him. By grace through faith, Rahab's shame is destroyed rather than destroying her. Listen, your, your shame is either gonna be destroyed by the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news that Jesus is Lord. The good news that he took your shame on himself and paid for it and dealt with it. Your shame's either gonna be destroyed by the gospel or your shame is going to destroy you and probably destroy other people in the process too. We like to play, religious people do this thing where we, we decide who who's who can serve God and who can't serve God? Would a pagan prostitute be on your list of who could serve God? Wouldn't be on most people's top 10 list of who we would pick. But yet, I mean, she's, we don't even want to be identified with her. But Jesus will be identified with her. Jesus chooses her. 
Jesus is not ashamed of her. Did she stay a prostitute? No. But when was she, what was she when God used her? What was it when God started using her? God didn't wait for her to be fixed to start working in her life. If God was waiting for you to be fixed to start working in your life, where would you be? What if we trusted that God was big enough that if you give people God's word and give people unconditional love, they're not going to be able to help but change? What if we believed that God was that big? Amen. I'll amen myself. By grace, through faith, Rahab becomes a member of the community of Israel. Now, she asked basically just for her life to be spared. Basically, she asked to become a prisoner of war. And when she first went uh, to, 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 to the Israelite camp, she was put outside the camp with the people that were not worthy. But eventually, she becomes a full member of that community, such a full member of that community again. She's part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Not a second-class citizen, a full-fledged community member. Maybe you're constantly shaming yourself. Maybe you're saying, Jesus wouldn't identify with me because fill in the blank. Maybe you're constantly shaming other people. Man, I know Jesus doesn't want anything to do with that guy. Faith like Rahab's is the only way out of that dead-end cycle. Let the gospel destroy your shame or shame's gonna destroy you. The gospel is for the outsider. So we, we read the lineage of Jesus. We see Bathsheba there, Tamar there, Rahab there. As we see who God chooses out of all the people of Jericho, the gospel is for the outsider. The gospel is for the weak one. The gospel is for the marginalized one. The gospel is for you and for me. And for the last person we would ever expect it to be for. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you. You know, that's what delivers you and me from our shame. When we finally come to realize that the risen Son of God knows you, knows your name, knows where you hurt, sees you, loves you, accepts you, embraces you, and suddenly you don't want to be the same anymore. But we got to accept that acceptance by faith. Rahab heard this earth-shattering news, judgment is coming, and God is real. Here's earth-shattering news, judgment is coming, and God is real. That scarlet thread pointed back to the Passover points forward to the cross is still a scarlet thread that you can grab hold of in faith and find salvation. You know, our instinct when we're ashamed is to hide Maybe we hide in a bottle or we hide at work or we hide in religious activities. The spies hid. I've hidden a lot in life. Our problem is that we hide in the wrong place. Psalm 34 says, Oh, blessed is he who hides in him. By faith, you can become that Colossians 3 man, that Colossians 3 woman, whose life is hid with Christ. In God, whose identity is buried so deep in Jesus that your shame has been obliterated by Jesus. You know, Jesus came to our Jericho, and our Jericho needed to be blowed up. Our Jericho deserved to be destroyed. Blowed up is a word, right, Travis? It, it, it deserved to be destroyed. 
And Jesus took that judgment upon himself. God, Jesus took that wrath upon himself. So now what do we do? Jesus made a way of escape where there was no escape. Jesus showed kindness to those that didn't deserve it. So what's he looking for from you? Is he looking to be repaid? Is he looking for people that will never embarrass him? Good luck with that, right? No, he's looking for somebody that's going to trust him. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro looking for one whose heart is completely his. Rahab's heart was his. I don't care what you've done. And I'm an evil man. Imagine God. Whatever you've done, he's just looking for people whose hearts are completely his. And if, our, if your heart's his, everything else is eventually going to fall into place. He's going to make sure of that. He's just looking for people to trust him. Are you hiding in the wrong place or are you hiding in Jesus? Will you trust him? Will you turn and will you believe? So the gospel, as the band's coming up, the gospel, and we're going to take a few minutes here. And if you've got a roast in the oven, I'll see you later. But the rest of us are going to tune in for a couple minutes here. The gospel is this good news that Jesus is Lord and that you have the opportunity to bend your knee, confess his name, have him identify with you, sit at your lunch table with you. He's yours, you're his. And a lot of us have been so clouded by shame, either ashamed of ourselves or ashamed of other people or shaming other people. Look, two things to stop doing. Stop shaming yourself. Stop shaming other people. One thing to start doing, start trusting Jesus. Start trusting Jesus. Jesus stepped into our Jericho. And he took our sin upon himself. And that blood poured out of his hands and his feet and his brow and his side. And it flows to you. Will you trust him? I'd like for you to bow your head. I'd like for you to close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. We're not going to embarrass you. But if you don't know Jesus, if, you, if you're sitting here saying, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, I'm so ashamed and broke down. I'm a mess. I don't know if I know Jesus or not. Somebody asked me if I had an eternity that was for sure. I wouldn't know how to, how to answer. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if, if that's you, if you don't know that you know Jesus, would you just raise your head and look, look at me? Let me see your eyes. appreciate those of you that, that, that lifted your faces. Yes. If you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you looked up at me, amen. Still can look up. If you don't know him, if you don't know that you know him, keep your head bowed. But if, if, if you're saying, I don't know that I know Jesus, let me see your eyes. Okay, I see you. With every head bowed, if, if, you, if you looked up or needed to look up, Will you just kind of pray this prayer? Just, just, God, just, just kind of repeat after me. You, you can quietly or out loud. But till the Lord say, Dear Father, I'm a sinner and I need you. 
Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent Jesus to rescue me. I believe he. I believe Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. I trust you, Jesus. Save me. I commit my life to following you, Lord. In Jesus' name.